0: Good morning. This is the Powerhouse Politics Podcast for Friday, June 3rd, 2016. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl,
1: And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein, live from Cleveland, where the Republicans are set to have their convention in just a few short weeks.
2: And Matthew Dowd, political analyst and chief of the
0: Austin Bureau. Wow. Fantastic. Matthew, coming up today, we'll speak to Hillary Clinton strategist, Joel Benenson, about the tightening poll numbers in California. And later, we'll talk to Bernie Sanders campaign manager, Jeff Weaver, about the path ahead for Bernie. So these guests in a bit. But first, I got to ask you guys, what is happening in California? We got uh, another poll that shows the race statistically tied. Uh, It could Bernie Sanders really end this campaign season with a win over Hillary Clinton in the state of California, and does it matter? And
1: the question becomes, is that even the end if he wins? He's got voting in the District of Columbia a week after that, and then the big battle for the superdelegates. His campaign saying they're going to go on. Frankly, John, I don't know what a campaign looks like when you're out of votes uh, <laughs> or out of states to vote in. What do, you, what do you do exactly? Do you go to battleground states? Do you start campaigning outside the homes of superdelegates? All of that on the table, but there is a very distinct possibility that Bernie Sanders wins in the nation's largest, most populous, most delegate rich state, which is embarrassing at the least for Hillary Clinton.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I think this is less of a big bump that launches Bernie Sanders into a convention victory and more of a problematic thing for the person that everybody believes is going to be the likely Democratic nominee. This is like an NFL season. You don't want to end the season in a series of losses and especially a big loss in the last game of the season going into the playoffs. I think it's problematic for Hillary Clinton, though she limps through the convention and gets the nomination, but it is a problem.
0: So we had a a Q poll this week, Quinnipiac, uh, come out that showed that Hillary Clinton has a narrow lead, barely outside the margin of error, over Donald Trump in in a hypothetical, uh, what I guess won't be hypothetical soon, uh, general election matchup. But Matthew, I I wanted to ask, looking deep into this poll, Hillary's up four points, but there are real danger signs uh, for her, it would seem to me. Uh, a series of questions at the end of the poll. Uh, one asks, who do you think would do a better job creating jobs? Trump, 52%, Hillary Clinton, 41 who would do? Who would be more effective against ISIS? Trump is up eight points on that measure. Uh, who do you think is more inspiring? Trump leads that by nine points. Who is more honest and trustworthy? Again, Trump leads that measure. Um, And who is a stronger leader? Trump leads that measure. Now, there are huge negatives for Trump in this poll, but aren't those the fundamental questions that voters in previous elections have thought of? Who does a better job against terrorism? Who does a better job with the economy? Who do you think is more honest? Who do you think is a stronger leader? Who is more inspiring? How could Hillary Clinton be down on all of those measures Uh, in a poll where she actually has a narrow lead. Well, I mean, this is the election we're in where we have two
2: incredibly flawed candidates who are disliked by a majority of the country and distrusted by the majority of the country. And I think it's going to be the choice, as we've talked about before, as an unpopularity contest in the end. I think there is good signs for Hillary Clinton in this. She obviously still has a lead in spite of everything you mentioned. And there's good signs for Donald Trump in the course of this election. The other good sign, I think for Donald Trump in this is that he's had the highest unfavorables. Hillary is slowly catching up to his unfavorables. And if you look at the numbers among independents in this poll, Donald Trump is actually in better position among independents in this poll than Hillary Clinton is in the course of this. I think we're going to see this race is exceedingly volatile all throughout the summer and into the fall. And I think ultimately the conventions are going to matter and who gets a bump out of them. But in the end, I think the debates that are held in September and October are going to have more meaningful, compelling impact
0: than we've ever seen as we've covered these races in the last 25 or 30 years. All right, we're going to talk about all of that with our next guest in just a few moments, Joel Benenson, strategist with the Hillary
1: Clinton campaign. Hey there, ABC News Political Director Rick Klein here, hoping you're enjoying Powerhouse Politics, one of the many podcast offerings from ABC News. Check out the full slate by going to abcnewspodcasts.com.
0: Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. On the line with us now is Hillary Clinton campaign strategist Joel Benenson. Joel, thank you for joining us. I, I want to get right to the big question right now. What's going on in California? That, that race is looking incredibly tight. Could Hillary Clinton lose out there?
3: Look, we've, we've gone through this the entire campaign. Uh, most of the states have been fairly competitive. Uh, we approach them that way. Um, we are uh, applying our resources Uh, very strategically over the last uh, four to six weeks of the campaign. Uh, Here's what's uh, not in doubt, is that at some point Tuesday night, Hillary Clinton uh, will have a majority of pledged delegates. One, she'll have a majority of delegates overall, and a significant majority in the popular vote. It's why everybody uh, in the party... Uh, except for a small group of people are acknowledging that uh, she will be and is the presumptive nominee in the Democratic Party.
0: Okay, one person that's not quite there yet is Bernie Sanders. Uh, His campaign is talking about continuing this fight even after uh, the primaries, uh, the the last wave of primaries, going into the convention. And I want to ask you about something uh, that certainly caught my ear that Bernie Sanders said in an interview about the possibility, he was asked about the possibility, what would happen if Hillary Clinton were indicted before the Democratic primary, I mean, before the Democratic convention in Philadelphia. This is what he said.
4: If, 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 and I'm not saying it is, uh, but if something like that were to happen, would that impact uh, the electorate? Of course it would. And would
0: that be taken into consideration by the delegates? Of course it would. So. I, there's so much to ask about that question. First of all, wh- what do you make of Bernie Sanders willing to engage in a hypothetical like that? And does he have, is, is there any way that he could go in and, and, and make an argument to superdelegates to basically overturn uh, the will of Democratic voters? In, in the, uh, I, look,
3: you know, I'm not going to comment on Bernie Sanders that, you know, it, it is an absurd question. Uh, the issue going forward here is, uh, the contest is going to be between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, um, and we are making that case forcefully every day. And this is the choice that is going to face the American voters, and they're going to evaluate which one of these candidates is going to make a real difference in my life, which one of these candidates is going to be uh, uh, qualified and prepared to be the commander in chief, and uh, which one of them is unfit and unprepared and would be dangerous, not just to. Uh, our relationships with our allies around the world and certainly with our, our adversaries around the world, but to the ec- economic lives of working Americans. And that person is Donald Trump. He poses an enormous risk and danger um, to this country right now. We've never had a candidate that I think in our lifetimes who has been this unfit and this uh, dangerous uh, to the country's security overseas and here at home.
1: So, Joel, you're a data guy, and I know when election results come in, when poll results come in, Hillary Clinton has been you know, pretty clearly uh, en route and tra- on track for this nomination for some time. What lessons do you draw from voting, including perhaps in California, where sizable chunks of Democratic primary voters are not going for Hillary Clinton? What lessons do you learn from that that you then apply to the general?
3: Look, I was involved in 2008 with President Obama. You know, the notion, and I, I am really a- shocked had, you know, veteran journalists who have covered presidential campaign after campaign who are trying to translate results in primary elections to a general electorate. It is not a mirror image. It is not a, a DNA, DNA code that maps. We are talking about subsets of the most partisan people in our party. Just like in 2008, which was a much closer contest between Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, the party... Uh, And the goal here is to unify coming out of California and the convention and run against a person who poses an enormous danger to this country. Um, And that's what Democrats and independent-leaning Democrats will do. Look, when you look at poll data, you said I'm a poll data guy, you know. There were polls in 2012 at this point that had, you know, Mitt Romney leading Barack Obama. There were polls that had John McCain leading. When he had locked up the Republican nomination in 2008, leading Barack Obama, and Obama went on to beat McCain by seven points because elections are choices, and the choices are the two nominees in the parties. And when that choice is presented to voters and Democrats are looking at what they stand for, who we're fighting for, who Hillary Clinton has been fighting for her whole life on behalf of working Americans, children, families, and improving their lives against a guy like Donald Trump who's divisive, a uh, uh, bigoted rhetoric, even the other day, uh, impugning an American judge with a racial reference, uh, uh, the choice is going to be very clear to the American people.
2: Joel, this is Matthew. I, I, following up on that, what you just said, I'm curious, when you look at, let's take a look at the message pie chart of what you guys are going to do in the course of the next five months, what... How much time are you going to spend disqualifying Donald Trump and how much time are you going to spend on pro-Hillary arguments? What's the anti and what's the pro-ratio?
3: Yeah, look, Matthew, I think I'm not going to put a percentage number on it. You know, having been in this seat as well, uh, you know, it is about striking a balance. I think, yes, every candidate has to tell uh the voters and hillary clinton believes this strongly you know she often says you know i've got this old-fashioned idea when you're running for president you have to tell people not just um what you want to do for them but how you're going to do it and how you're going to get it done and so i think we will continue to make a very forceful argument particularly given where people are today economically which is feeling a level of stability, not the security they want in their lives. They want to see a path forward for them and their children and build a better future. Um, and we think we've got a very strong argument to make. But also, and, you know, Matthew, I think uh, you, you won't disagree with this. Elections are always fundamentally choices. And I think when people are thinking about their, the country we want to build, the future they want for their children, uh, that's a contrast that will will drive every day because we think it's important that they know not just what we're going to do, but all the ways in which Donald Trump poses a real risk and danger to them economically and in terms of our security.
0: Well, can, I, can I ask you some? You saw the Quinnipiac poll uh, that showed Hillary in a hypothetical general election matchup up four points over Trump. But in, in, in this poll had sky high negatives for Trump. I mean, almost 60 percent unfavorable. Uh, you know, see, across the board, uh, uh, negatives for, for Trump. But it seemed like we were just talking earlier that there are some real danger signs for Hillary Clinton here on, on a series of, of core questions in a general election. On the question of who would do a better job creating jobs, Trump has an 11-point lead. Who would, do, who would be more effective against ISIS? Trump has an 8-point lead. Uh, on the question of who is more inspiring Trump up eight, who is more honest and trustworthy, Trump up five. Isn't this, I mean, doesn't this show that you've got a major challenge on your hands, not only in terms of bringing him down, but on building her up as a candidate, as somebody who has an appeal, uh, you know, to uh, to, to, to the broader electorate?
3: Well, you know, again, as I I said before, first of all, uh, and I think as you noted in your commentary, you know, Hillary Clinton has a lead in that poll, right? Yes, yes. And uh Which is all the more of, striking
0: by the way. It is and it isn't
3: because I think I think look, we are not yet a, a unified party. And I made the point about where Barack Obama was, then Senator Obama in two thousand eight when the Republicans had unified, which they have all largely fallen in line except for about thirty governors and senators who are finding, you know, reasons like they gotta be watering their lawn to not go to the Republican <laughs> convention. Yeah. Um you know, uh, but but we are not yet a unified party. We have uh, time to do that. We haven't had, any, you know, we take Senator Sanders at his word that he will do everything to help defeat Donald Trump. That's what we believe will happen, um, you know, as we come out of California and move forward. And I think that's what some of those numbers reflect, quite honestly, because I think you're right to ask, well, why is she leading? But yet here, I think, you know, is it possible there are some folks who are still highly partisan in their are primary preferences, who are holding a little bit back? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I also think that, um, you know, in truth, that the media has not applied the scrutiny to Donald Trump's candidacy. And I think we're seeing this change a little bit now. I think there's a lot of, um, I don't want to call it self-flagellation. That might be a little too harsh, but I think you guys, it would be very hard for you to deny that the media is taking a deep breath and going, wait a second, we have not held this guy Donald Trump to the same standard that we should any presidential candidate. We have not held him to account for the words he himself has uttered over and over again. You know, Donald Trump throws the word lie around a lot. But I tell you, you guys have videotaped day in and day out of his own words, what he has said. Um, And I think that pressing him harder, um, you know, he he showed a, a, a real flaw in his temperament the other day and lashing out just at asking questions. He doesn't seem to feel like he should be questioned about whether his Trump university is a complete and total fraud, which it clearly is. And he's been the ringleader of that scam. So uh, I think now we're going to see a period where he is going to face much more intense uh, uh, scrutiny, worthy of a, a credible presidential candidate, you know, in terms of his standing in the polls that he should have gotten months ago. Now, whether that's because the electronic media and TV in particular, and I don't mean to point a finger at TV, but, you know, are they loving the high ratings so much that they're letting him, you know, uh, uh, you know, not be grilled the way he should be grilled as a presidential candidate? So,
1: so Joel, just to put a button on this, you mentioned that, that, that Secretary Clinton is likely to go over the top in delegates, almost certainly on Tuesday night. Is that the end of the Democratic primary, as far as your campaign is concerned? Is there no longer a Democratic primary campaign, regardless of whether another candidate drops out?
3: Tuesday night? Correct. Tuesday night. When she goes, well, yeah, she's going to have a majority of pledged delegates. Every standard that has been set by even Senator Sanders throughout this campaign, she will be ahead by nearly three million uh, uh, votes in the popular vote. She will have a majority of the pledged delegates. With you know other delegates, the super delegates, if you want to count them in, she'll have a majority of delegates. So. Yeah, I mean, that is what's going to happen on Tuesday night.
1: So it's over after Tuesday night from from your perspective? No more race on the Democratic side?
3: Listen, we've been saying saying since April 26th that we have an insurmountable lead. I think that, you know, it's clearer. But, you know, decisions to campaign or not are up to Senator Sanders. We can't, you know, make his decisions for him. We believe that he is going to want to help unify the Democratic Party because he does see the threat that Donald Trump poses, and we, we take him at his word that he is going to participate fully in that effort uh, to defeat Donald Trump and keep his supporters engaged on behalf of uh, Hillary Clinton when she's the nominee.
0: Hey, before you go, I've got a, another data question again, as we know you're, you're, you're sure. a good data guy. Um, why is it that uh, Romney got Real significant damage from the perception that he was, uh, you know, this rich guy. He had his car elevator and, and, and that made him kind of out of touch with the interests of, uh, of working class Americans. And yet Trump, you have somebody who on a daily basis brags about how rich he is flies around in his own helicopter, in his own airplane, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, gleaming buildings. And, and, and that, uh, if anything, so far anyway, has yeah. just been a positive for him.
2: So
3: I, I think you're kind of misreading the Romney dynamic a bit. There were two sides to that. Um, the one side is whether, um, you, you know, people, voters, and we as a campaign were never trying to exploit the fact that he was wealthy. Americans like success. They have no problem with success. What really did damage to Romney in that campaign was the conduct in his businesses, where he loaded companies up with debt, bankrupted many of them, and he and his partners walked away from millions, and the working people lost out. Donald Trump has a trail of behaviors that are pretty similar identical, but nobody on the Republican side brought them up, and we have only just begun to do that, and we will continue to do that. So, for example, you know, we have this guy who uh, said he was hoping for the housing crash in 2006, 2007, so that when people were losing their property and homes, he could swoop in and buy them cheap and make more money for himself. Like, who's the last president we elected? who was looking to profit off other people's misery and misfortune. I don't think that's what Americans admire in successful business people. Do they admire people like Warren Buffett? Um, you know, they admire people like Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg who build something that's real? Uh, this is a guy who has bankrupted companies and, in the process of bankrupting companies, um, you know, has done it by piling up massive amounts of debt. He calls himself the king of debt. Um, And when he's bankrupted these companies, he calls it a legal proceeding. That's bogus. It's a complete phony answer. He's been stripped of his control of company after company. And when he did that, he really did stick it to the small business contractors who lost out, the working people who got a penny on the dollar, while he walked away skating off with with money and, and getting out from under his debt burden. They bore the brunt of his failures. So I think when you make that connection, and that's the argument on the economic side that we will make to people, and it still will resonate because what he's proposing economically will do a lot of that. I mean, Matthew, you're a Republican. Who's the last Republican you heard talk about wanting to explode the debt and deficit with a plan that will pile on close to $10 trillion in debt that even Republican economists are saying could crash our economy all over again or put us in permanent recession? Um, You know, we think there's plenty there that is going to, you know, get back to the story uh, that was really what was problematic for Romney, which was not that he was wealthy. It was that how he had behaved and acted and who suffered as a result of his actions in business. And that's the truth about Donald Trump, the people who he has just trampled on. And just look at the last couple of days in terms of the scam and the fraud at Trump University that's going on and the instructions that were given in Trump's playbook. his people to get people to max out on their credit cards, max out their life savings, their retirement savings, so that he could walk away with millions and those people, you know, who are suing him all over the country now for fraud.
0: Matthew, you have a last word? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think Joe, I am not a Republican.
2: I'm as independent as they come. So I agree. (laughs) I I agree. This ultimately this is going to be a choice election and to me that this is going to be ultimately decided by those debates that come in September and October, and we're going to see volatility in this race. But those debates are going to be the
0: powerful part of this play. And and, and I think we just heard a preview of what of what the uh, what the Clinton the centerpiece of the Clinton argument against Trump is going to be.
3: Look, one last quick point, if I have a minute here, is yep. is Matthew? I you know I hear what you're, you're, you said. I, I don't disagree with you. The other thing is we should remember historically, presidential elections in this country are very close. Throughout our history, we have had very few presidents—only six or seven—who have been elected and re-elected with 50% or more of the vote two times. You know, we are going to see competitive elections here; they are going to be choices. But no one should expect blowouts. That hasn't been in our DNA. We've had very few of them.
0: So this will not be a blowout.
3: Uh, time will tell. I mean, you know, I I say that histor—I offer that historical perspective with my other proviso and caution that i always give people is candidates and campaigns matter you know we're good, we're five months out now um roughly um and and they can certainly have an impact and change but i was just saying historically we have had fairly close elections and particularly as we all know uh in the last uh, couple of decades since really reagan's uh, uh ronald reagan's uh big landslides and the early
0: 80s. But 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 just to put the point on that, it, it's not unreasonable to expect that this race, despite all of the obvious negatives of Donald Trump that you've you've, you've outlined and 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 your confidence and your ability to exploit those, that that, that it's reasonable based on the historic uh, experience here to expect this could be a very close election.
3: Well, especially when you're talking about the popular vote, right? Remember that if you look at the electoral college and you go back through the last six elections, the four Democratic wins have come with three hundred and thirty two or more electoral votes the two republican wins with george uh, w bush president bush in two thousand as we know he got to two seventy one and in two thousand four he got to two eighty three so remember we could win a narrow popular vote win but an electoral college landslide uh, that's been a, a pattern. I think we have some advantages here as we look at the map. But on the popular vote side, correct, I think you could see. You know, like I say, who was the last president to get to 55% in the popular vote? Who was You, go back, you go back to the 80s.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, 84. Yeah, I think H.W. You know, Bush got over 55 in, uh, against Dukakis in 88.
2: Oh, I think he got
0: 53.
3: Oh, maybe you're right. I thought it was bigger. Okay.
0: All right, we will we will get that information and get back. Hey, Joel, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Happy to do it. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. So, um, so don't mess with Matthew Dowd when it comes to uh, winning percentages <laughs> of, of presidents name, Bush. Um, so, so, so Matthew, I, I do um, coming out of all this because you mentioned the importance of the debates. Um, I uh, I do have a pop quiz. I told you a little bit mentioned before. We might give you this pop quiz. Who, sorry, oh, yeah. Just so just so you know, it
2: was 53.4 to 46 is what the 1988 election was.
0: All right. All right. There you go. It was interesting, by the way. So so, so, so it sounds like, you know, Bennettson's doing a little expectation setting talking about uh, the map favors them. Everything else uh, lines up, of course, he would say uh, for, for Hillary Clinton. But this could, at least in the popular election by, in the opinion of top Clinton strategists, be a very close election. But yep. I wanted to ask you, who, over the course of this campaign so far, both parties, who spent the most on television advertising?
2: Well, I think it was somebody that ended up with only a couple of delegates, which is Jeb Bush. That's my guess. That's but correct. I think that's, that's correct. Pretty, that's correct. Okay.
0: You're, you're correct. Uh, $82 million. Uh, who yeah, spent Who spent the second most on advertising, both parties, during the entire Of this uh, campaign to this date. Um,
2: I think it's it's must be competitive between Rubio and Bernie
0: Sanders. Okay, you're 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 on fire. It was Rubio, sixty-seven million, Bernie Sanders, fifty-eight million, and then. Coming in fourth place was Hillary Clinton, who was about to, uh, you know. Yeah, I know who's in
2: last place on this whole list. Yeah,
0: Donald Trump with $18.8 million.
2: This goes to my point that I've tried to make, as you know, you and Rick both know, is is that paid political advertising in presidential races, and I think it's been the case for the last 15 or 20 years, has Mm -hmm. very limited impact.
0: And yet, As, this is where the lion's share of the spending has gone in campaigns. Until we came to this Donald Trump campaign, I mean, this bingo. is. So, is, is this trend going to maintain itself through the uh, through the fall, or now? Yes, yeah, so and I think
2: it's incumbent. I think it's incumbent on us. Yes, I think it is, and I think it's been the case. I did a huge study after 2004 on the advertising that we spent in 2004 versus Kerry, and came through with a big study. Came through that it had marginal effect on the on the election outcome in media markets around the country. Marginal, very marginal effect. But campaigns still haven't switched to a new mode and a new style, other than really fundamentally Donald Trump in the course of this. I think that our focus should be less on how many ads somebody airs and, and the number of dollars they spend in a market and more on exactly what the messages is and how is it sinking in and how are they conveying it through the media, the regular media like us, and the social media. I think that's where this imp- election is going to be ultimately decided.
0: So we invite our listeners on this podcast to send questions in. Uh, hashtag Powerhouse Politics. Please send us questions via Twitter. We will answer them ourselves or pose them uh, to our guests. we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to the campaign manager for Bernie Sanders, Jeff Weaver.
3: Hey, this is ABC's Dan Harris. I hope you're enjoying John Carl's podcast. I got a recommendation for an even better one. It's my podcast. It's called 10% Happier. I'm just kidding. It's not better than John's podcast. John's superior to me in every possible way. But if you want to hear more from ABC News folks, you can listen to my podcast, 10% Happier, or lots of other ABC News podcasts if you go to abcnewspodcast.com or to the Apple Podcast Store.
0: Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Joining us now is Bernie Sanders campaign manager Jeff Weaver. Jeff, thanks for joining us once again on Powerhouse Politics.
4: Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So uh, we, we just spoke to, uh, to uh, Joel Benenson with the Hillary Clinton campaign, who told us that effectively, basically no matter what happens, uh, who wins or loses in California, that after Tuesday, this primary race is really over. Uh, Hillary Clinton will have a majority of pledged delegates. She will have clinched the number of total delegates to, uh, to win the nomination, and the, uh, the the primary campaign is effectively over. Do you agree with that?
4: No, absolutely not. Look, um, the truth of the matter is is that once uh, the the primaries and caucuses are over, and actually the last uh, one is on the fourteenth of uh, June in the District of Columbia, but neither candidate is going to have the number a number of pledged delegates, and those are delegates that are elected in the primary and caucus process uh, to secure the nomination. You need two thousand three hundred eighty three total uh, delegates in order to Uh, become the nominee. So it's going to be the superdelegates who are going to decide this. And those superdelegates actually don't vote until the convention. So it is true that there are a a large number of uh, superdelegates who have publicly uh, stated their support or privately stated their support for Secretary Clinton. Uh, But they are free to change their uh, support between between now and the convention. And look, the, the polling has been very, very consistent. In fact, there was another poll out yesterday that shows that Bernie Sanders is a much stronger candidate against Donald Trump than is Secretary Clinton. I mean, that's just that's just a factual matter. In fact, a poll out of Michigan um, uh, you know, shows that she loses independence to Donald Trump. A poll in, in uh, Ohio showed that she loses the state to, to Donald Trump. So th- these superdelegates who are elected officials and party leaders are going to have to take a hard look at this race and say, you know, do we want to run the risk of having Donald Trump become president, or do we want to nominate uh, the strongest candidate? Uh, who can help us uh, retain the White House and then ele- help elect the Democrats up and down the ballot.
0: So just to take a step back uh, on this, uh, the whole question of superdelegates, and Senator Sanders has made a very powerful point really since the beginning of this campaign, that you know, there's something ridiculous about the notion that you have all of these superdelegates, um, many of whom made their choice, said they were going to support Hillary Clinton, even before this campaign got underway, even before we knew who was going to be in the campaign. And and, so many have said, so many of your supporters have said there is something kind of profoundly undemocratic about this notion of superdelegates to vote however the heck they want, regardless of how uh, their states voted. In some ways, the Republican process looks a lot more democratic than the than the democratic process here because you know they don't have these superdelegates, although trust right. me, Reince Priebus wished he had some during this process. Do you, do, do you think them. that in future presidential campaigns, is it time to really do away with superdelegates? I mean, is there really a, something that's kind of outdated and, and, and shouldn't be there anymore?
4: Well, you know, the senator has said on, uh, many times and recently on The Stump as well that, you know, the superdelegate system he has real concerns about it uh, and needs to be reformed or abolished. Um, so you know, the number of superdelegates delegates has just gotten out of out of hand to, relative to the number of uh, uh, delegates who are elected by people in primaries and caucuses. Uh, but in this race, I mean, you know, uh, you know, the senator did not create the rules for the for this current round of, you know, a nominating process. I mean, it was a, a set of rules that uh, you know that he inherited, and so obviously we are going to uh, play by those rules, and, and superdelegates delegates are in this you know in this round going to be a part of it, and so uh, obviously he's going to make an appeal to them. But, but, uh, but there is something forward,
0: I- is, there is something ironic, though, about Bernie Sanders effectively, the message being you are asking the superdelegates to overturn the will expressed by Democratic voters during the primaries. Because Hillary Clinton will almost certainly have a majority of of pledge delegates, almost certainly have more raw vote, and you are now you, Bernie Sanders campaign is now the campaign that is asking the superdelegates to Sway the uh, sway the primary.
4: Well, all we're asking them to do is do what they're supposed to do under the rules, which is, you know, that the their purpose, their you know, their stated purpose, uh, is to, to make sure that the Democratic Party elects the candidate who uh, is going to be the strongest uh, in the fall. If they if they were not supposed to exercise independent judgment, there's no point in really having them at all, right? So, but you know, this is a set of rules that's that's uh, 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 under inherited uh he's obviously going to play by those rules and there's essentially you know two elections that go on in the, in the nominating process one is uh the primaries and caucuses where the people vote and the other one is the the superdelegates and so you have to compete in both to win and and you know whoever is nominating nominated will be nominated uh will be put over the top by superdelegates there's no doubt about that I and mean, that's just a fact
0: so Jeff
1: what what does the campaign look like when the voting ends? We understand Senator Sanders is saying we're campaign's going to continue through the convention. What do you do over this 6 week gap? Do you do you go to battleground states? Do you campaign? Do you set up outside superdelegate's houses? What what's your what are your <laughs> travel plans? What do you do after a, a week from Tuesday when DC votes?
4: Right, I I don't think we're going to be camping outside of any uh, superdelegate's uh, houses frankly, but we already have surrogates making calls um to uh to, to you know talk to them about uh Senator Sanders, and to ask them to, to, you know, take a look at the race as it stands down as opposed to where it stood uh, uh, well over a year ago. Um, you, you know, I, I suspect there will be uh, some travel involved in that. There obviously is a tremendous amount of uh, preparation that goes into uh, the convention. Uh, that you know, the Senators going to want to have a a, a a strong role in that in terms of uh, in the platform, in terms of you know, what, you know, one of the things you mentioned was super delegates, but there are a lot of, I think. Uh, electoral reform issues in terms of the nominating process that the senator uh, has uh, interest in. Uh, obviously, he'll be, I'm sure, helping down-ballot the Democrats uh, during this time period as well, as he has uh, uh, from the beginning of this race. So, uh, you know, exactly where he'll be and, and you know what, what that will look like, I think we're working on right now.
0: I don't know, Jeff. I kind of like the idea of the Senator Sanders outside mm-hmm. of Debbie Wasserman Schultz's house, you know, as a superdelegate, you know, as, looking for her vote. I mean...
4: Now you're just putting me on. Now,
1: Jeff, Jeff will, will there be a vice presidential search process? I mean, if if things go according to the plan you just outlined, uh, and superdelegates flee to you, uh, you'll need to have a vice president by the time you get to the convention. Is there going to do you have someone in right. charge of that? Is there vetting going on?
4: Well, I, you know, we haven't. Like I said, we're going to wait until we get to the end of the process on on the seventh, uh, and look at the race as it is then. I suspect what will have, have happened is there'll be a substantial narrowing of uh, Secretary Clinton's. Uh, delegate lead, uh, and again, we'll be reaching out to the super delegates, and, and then I, you know, I think that that what you're talking about will be a natural part of that process.
0: And how does California look? Uh, do you, do you think Sanders wins out there?
4: Well, he's, you know, he's been here. He's working quite hard. I, I think that he is in a position to win here. The polls have moved uh, pretty uh, substantially in his uh, direction. Uh, poll out yesterday shows that he's winning the Latino vote in. Uh, California. Uh, he's obviously winning the young vote by substantial margins. The first-time voters, there's a tremendous, I think what people don't, uh, many people don't recognize is that there's been a huge surge in uh, uh, new registrations here in California, over 1.5 million uh, Democratic or independent uh, new registrations, and, and those new new voters are overwhelmingly in favor of Senator Sanders. So there's a lot of new energy uh, in this election out here in California as there has been in states across the country. Uh, so I think he's he's well-positioned to win. I, you know, that poll yesterday showed that among likely voters, he only trails by two. If you look at a broader universe of Democratic voters, he's actually ahead. So uh, things are looking very good out here.
0: If you look at the polls, most recently at the Quinnipiac poll, Looking at Sanders' primary supporters and what they would do if the race comes down to Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump, it showed just 75 percent of them would vote for Hillary. Twenty-five percent would either vote for Trump, vote for somebody else, uh, not vote at all. What's your sense? Is it—I mean, you get a sense talking to some of the Clinton folks that it's a given that Trump is such a threat that, uh, you know, once once this is over, she gets the nomination, that— you know, everybody on the Democratic side rushes and, and, and votes for her. But is there, is there a danger that a lot of those voters, a lot of those diehard Bernie Sanders supporters would actually uh, not support the Democratic nominee against Hillary Clinton, against uh, Donald Trump?
4: Well, I mean, let me say, first of all, you know, Bernie Sanders has said he will support the Democratic nominee, for, you know, whoever sure. that is. Um, so that, let's be clear about that. You know, in terms of uh, you know his supporters, obviously, you know, everybody has their own mind, and, and he, you know, he doesn't control anybody or can't snap his fingers and make anybody do anything. But, uh, you know, in the event that Secretary Clinton is the nominee, you know, there's got to be a tremendous amount of outreach on the Secretary's part, you know, to reach out to that segment of the Democratic Party, which is, which even if Bernie Sanders were not to be the nominee, is going to represent about half of the party um, in terms of, uh, you know, delegates, what have you. Uh, she's going to have to reach out to those people and, you and really sort of bring them in and address, you know, Bernie Sanders' campaign has been energized by a, a series of substantive issues. You know, raise a minimum wage of $15, single-payer health care, uh, free uh, tuition at uh, public colleges and universities funded by a tax on Wall Street speculation, uh, you know, a, a less hawkish foreign policy. You know, all of these issues, uh, the Secretary is going to have to, you know, reach out to those voters and explain, you know, her positions, and, and why people should support her. I mean, I think it's going to require, it is going to require a big outreach on, on, on the part of the Clinton campaign.
1: Jeff, you mentioned outreach. Is, has there been any outreach from the burn, from the, the the Clinton campaign toward you guys about kind of winding things down and finding peace? Is it going to be on them to make that move, or do you anticipate you guys coming to them and saying, okay, it's over now, let's figure out what it all means? Has there been any of that kind of communication?
4: No, not really. I mean, we're still in the midst of... of uh, you know, voting in the primaries and caucuses. I mean, we've got, um, you know, we've got Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands coming up this weekend. We've got uh, California, New Jersey, the Dakotas, Montana, New Mexico, and then the District of Columbia. So, I mean, there are a tremendous number of delegates still at stake in this process. I mean, California alone has 475 pledged delegates at stake. So, you know, we're we're really focused on the on the race itself. The senator, as I said, has been campaigning 24 seven out here in California. If you've been following him. And I know you have, and he's been holding uh, massive rallies around the states. in most days, multiple uh, times a day. So he's getting 10 20,000 people coming out at these events. So, you know, that's where he's really, really been focused, and I, I think that'll be the case until, again, once we get past this, uh, the voting stage in the uh, primaries.
1: Have you seen any evidence that, 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 that superdelegates are prepared to, to make this kind of judgment and... and- you know, go back on what they have said publicly before, and actually cast their votes in a different direction.
4: No, but uh, look, super. First of all, you know, we have not had a super intensive uh, outreach to them. That's again going to start soon. Um, um, you know, we've started that already, but it, it'll intensify once the voting is over among a primary caucus uh, goers. And you know, super delegates are going to be are like vote all voters, right? Everybody pays more attention to an election, takes a harder look at an election the closer you get to it, and, and the election for super delegates. Uh, is at the convention, so there's a long uh, period of many weeks between the last voting uh, and the convention, and the, you know, I think it's, it's during that period when uh, folks are going to have an opportunity to reflect on you know what has happened in the race, who has the momentum going into the convention, um, and and also again the, the sort of almost universal public polling, uh, which shows Bernie Sanders beating Trump quite quite handily uh, in a national election, and the secretary uh, you know struggling.
0: Jeff, I've got one more question for you uh, on a slightly different note. You are the campaign manager for one of the most successful insurgent presidential campaigns in modern presidential history. And yet when I call you on your cell phone, this is the voicemail message I hear.
4: Hi, this is Jeff Weaver with Victory Comics. Please leave a message after the tone. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, I worked with Bernie Sanders uh, since I was uh, 20 years old, which was a long time ago, back in the mid-80s. And uh, you know, I ran his Senate campaign in 2006, and then in 2009, I left politics uh, to open a comic book business, and uh, that's where I was when this thing, whole, this whole thing started. And, and uh, Bernie called me and asked me to, to come and, and work with him on this. So, uh, so that's the voicemail. That's why. That's what I was doing right before I came came back into politics.
0: And can you still set us up with some good comic books if we? Uh...
4: I, I, I sure, I sure, I sure can. <laughs> yep, my my staff's doing a great job holding things together there. Obviously, I'm not there. Um, I don't really have any time to spend with, on it right now, but uh, but they're doing a great job holding everything together. So I really appreciate their hard work.
0: Well, I look forward to the comic book series with Bernie Sanders as the superhero. Maybe yeah, m- exactly. maybe doing battle with super delegates. This could be. There's a lot of potential here. I can see maybe
4: we have movie deals in the works.
0: <laughs> All right. Jeff Weaver with the Bernie Sanders campaign. Thanks a lot for joining us on Powerhouse Politics.
4: Oh, my pleasure. I was a good time with you guys, thanks.
0: So Rick, that does not exactly sound like a campaign that is getting ready to wrap it up.
1: No, quite to the contrary. I mean and this is uncharted territory. I mean, once the voting is done, you move on to the general election, except when you don't. And 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 in this case it's the it's the Democrats and not the Republicans that are gonna have this lingering it's sort of uncomfortable fact that they'll still have an active campaign. And you heard Jeff Weaver say it. They don't even know what it looks like. What do you how do you actually campaign? But you don't wind down. And that, I think, is the relevant point here. They are not considering this race to be over, despite what Joel Benison and the Clinton campaign says this race will not be over, according to Bernie Sanders, as of Tuesday night.
0: And Matthew, I mean, what what I mean, what does that actually look like? I mean, <laughs> Rick asked a very well, good Rick, question. Is you know, I do, do, gonna... do you do a vice presidential search? I mean, what what the heck?
2: Well, I, was, I thought Rick's question was so perfect, and I think the answer is we haven't thought what we're going to do after this is over, right? I think that their whole thing is they know they can't say we're having a vice presidential vetting process in this moment of this because it sort of completely disrespects Hillary Clinton in in, the, in their mind. They don't really have a plan between the 14th, where, where D.C. votes, and the convention in Philadelphia. So I think it's just we're going to get through California and we're going to get through D.C. and then we're going to figure out what we're going to do after that.
0: And, and of course, all this depends on him winning the California primary. I and mean, if he loses the California primary, I, I don't even see how you get to that to that discussion. I mean, that's uh, you know, I mean, he obviously, and even if he wins, he's not going to he, he he will Hillary Clinton will have effectively clinched it.
2: Yeah, and even if he wins, it doesn't, from what the polls look like, he's not going to win it by very much. So he's not going to really change the delegate math at all in the course of this. He won't change the popular vote much at all, the delegate math at all. So, but it does give him a moment if he wins to make an argument, at least for a few weeks, that he is the best position to beat Donald
0: Trump. All right. Well, that will do it for this week's edition of Powerhouse Politics. Please take a moment to rate the show on iTunes and write us a review. Tell your friends about it. Tweet us at hashtag Powerhouse Politics. We'll take your questions and do our best to answer them. And don't forget to check out a bunch more podcasts from ABC News by going to abcnewspodcast.com. For Rick Klein and Matthew Dowd, I'm Jonathan Carl, and we'll see you back here next Friday.